0: Let's open up our Bibles to Second Peter chapter two, verses 10 through 12, 10 through 22. Um, Easter's in a couple of weeks. He is risen, His church is alive, and so invite uh, your friend's family lost, and we will share the gospel. Second Peter chapter two, verses 10 through 22. As we make our way there, it's very important to remember three things about Peter as he's writing about this letter that Peter's writing. Uh, firstly, Peter's writing to a church that is under some tremendous persecution. Secondly, Peter knows that he's soon going to die, as we read in chapter 1, which leads to his urgency in writing this letter, which is the third thing. As chapter 2, verse 1 says, it says, There are false teachers who are introducing destructive heresies among you. And so basically, um, Peter, one of the last remaining eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, eyewitnesses of fulfilled Old Testament prophecies right in front of his eyes, he is writing to this church to remember the truth, remember the truth of the gospel so that they would be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy that were going to infiltrate the church and also come on, upon them from the outside. And Remember, if the enemy cannot get you with flat-out physical persecution, he's going to undermine you in other ways. And isn't that, isn't that true? Any of us have, as Christians have walked with him. We've, we've kind of gone, listen, okay, we've had someone who's really oppressed us. They couldn't get us. But then there's another area of our life where the enemy just kind of gets us off track. Anybody else had that? Yeah. And so Peter's saying, listen, full-on frontal attack. You're all dying. They're going to they're gonna take you and make lampposts out of you and throw you to lions and all these things. And you guys are faithful and true and you love the Lord and you're standing fast. And the enemy knows that, and so he modifies his attack scheme, and he goes, I'll just undermine their faith by slipping in false teachers among them. And Peter has some serious words from the Lord about these false teachers. And so two weeks ago, as we started chapter 2, first Peter, we went through verses 1 through 9, where Peter begins to warn them about those false teachers that will be infiltrating the church. And so to give us some context, I'm going to read those verses now, verses 1 through 9 in chapter 2. He says, But there will also be false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers (coughs) uh, among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, and here's Peter's main point, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. If I were to just ask you for a poll right now, scale 1 to 10, how tolerant do you think Peter is of false teaching? Yeah, zero or ten, depending on how you're doing it. He just does not want... That is, they're not on the favorite list of Peter. And so Peter warns the church that the end of false teacher and those who follow their false doctrine will lead to punishment on the day of judgment. The day of the Lord, the day of reckoning, spoken about by all the prophets in the Old Testament, especially Amos, other ones like that. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day when every single one of you myself included, kings to peasants. Everyone who has ever lived will stand before God and give an account. Isn't that just a quickening moment? And God isn't going to be like an earthly judge where he can't see the intents and the thoughts of the soul. He, He can see what we're thinking. He knows our motives. He knows every single thing. Everything will be laid bare before him on that day. So the gospel is such a powerful message. It saves us from the wrath of God. We just sang it. I was under your wrath, but through the cross I've been reconciled. I've been bought back. The wages have been paid. And so for those believers in Christ, our debt has been paid to God. We have peace. Through Jesus Christ alone. Praise God. And so we don't stand in front of the great white throne judgment. We stand in front of the mercy seat. And that is just fascinating to me. That Christ took our punishment. And so when false teachers come in and they start giving you religiosity and all these other things. And they don't preach the real gospel Peter has no place for it in the church. He says, be careful, because it is not only life and death, but it's the eternity in one place or the other. And that's how adamant he is about it. And if you read 2 Peter, if you read Jude, read the other places, which Jude is a parallel to 1 Peter, you just see that there's just an absolute unloading on these, these guys, and they take the cue from Jesus himself. And so... Peter gave three examples there in the first nine verses of how how that came about in the Old Testament, that God preserved the righteous, and he executed judgment. And the Old Testament gives us examples in the flesh of what will happen in the future. That's what it is, examples. And so you see that in the angels that left their first estate were possibly in Genesis 6, but Regardless, they were held in chains for the day of judgment. And then you see the the situation of Noah's day, where Noah and the eight with him, or those eight, were all preserved in the ark. He was a preacher of righteousness. Everyone else perished. When Jesus says the way is narrow, he means it's narrow. He says few will make it, he means few. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is not talking about, oh, you know, whatever it's truth to you. He says, I'm it, and unless you come through me, you're not getting in. It's very, very exclusive. So we don't preach a, a gospel that is inclusive to all the religions of the world. We say they're false, and they are going to hell, and that is not my words, those are Jesus's. And by the way, people who think that they're Christians are going to end up there as well as we grab onto the pseudo-gospel. And so this is, this is something that the teachers, the apostles, are constantly coming back to. They're constantly speaking to the church. They're constantly refining either what is the gospel or living it out and making sure our lives are lining up with it. And if it's not, then are we in? And that's the kind of the tension you see all the time. Because Jesus didn't save us to allow us to continue off in in godlessness, right? He saved us, and the the proof that his spirit was within us is a changed life. We look more like Jesus every day. There's a change that happens. And it is very important that if you're here this morning and go, I've been churching it, I don't know if I'm saved, that we square that away. Because Jesus, although the way is narrow, the way is open. The door is open to the ark right now. The way out of the city before the ashes come has is, is been prepared. Jesus' arms are, are wide open. And by the way, he was speaking to religious people, the Jews. So I would assume we're, we're a part of that. And I'm not trying to make you feel like you're not saved. I want to make sure you're in, right? Have that quickening moment. And so two weeks ago when we started chapter 2, we went through those first nine verses and Peter just, he warns them. And verse 9 is that key deal as he goes to those examples of, of Noah and of the angels and of, of the ungodly who were lost in all those circumstances there. Sodom and Gomorrah being one as well. And verse 9 is the key. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Pray, praise the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but like, Lord, how are you going to rescue us out of this? He knows how. Keep our eyes on him. But also to hold the unrighteousness for punishment at the day of judgment. And without skipping a beat, Peter continues on to verse 10 where we pick up this morning. And he's speaking of those who are headed for the day of judgment. Where he says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels... Although they are stronger and more powerful, they don't heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people, they blaspheme in matters they don't understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with the harm they have harmed, uh, with the harm they have done. So that's how Peter talks about this. And so Peter, in in, in in verse 9, very basically says, listen, God has judged in the past. He's going to judge in the future. And he says this is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Peter describes two attributes of false teachers, that typified false teachers. First, they follow the corrupt desires of the flesh, and they despise authority. And those two are linked. Those two are linked together. And so the false teachers of Peter's day apparently were a super spiritualistic pseudo-Christian uh, group of people. And they, they led people down a path that modeled them to think that, they d- that you do not have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Christ. It seemed like to be a libertine theology. Just, just go ahead and do whatever you want. Is, is kind of how, how, how it kind of comes across in the passage there. And, and that same kind of teaching is kind of, it's prevalent in in some of the church today that, that is, it's a man-centered rather than a God-centered gospel. And I don't know about you, but my own flesh, I want to hear things that, you know, encourage me. And, and, and of course, we want to be encouraged, right? Absolutely. Who doesn't want to be encouraged, you know? And that's one of the gifts of the Spirit, exhortation, encouragement. I love that. Um, but it's taken to a center to where everything is 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 about the person rather than god and i think of like the issues i was talking about last week about the other church and the lgbtq plus issues why are we why are we so concerned about how actual people feel rather than the holiness of god and how he views things i, I just think that's a it's a backwards thing You know, if if I'm caught in adultery or whatever it might be, or someone in this room is, you know, just murdered something, we're not gonna cater or whatever it is. I know there's equivalents and all that stuff, everybody's going on their mind right now. (laughs) I'm not gonna get into all that. So But I'm not gonna be sitting there going, Oh, are you okay with this? And and can we just create the right environment for you to it's like, listen, you love people, you share the gospel. And of course you aren't mean all those types with gentleness and respect, but there is, it's God we're concerned about, right? And Jesus came down, he walked up to people and he loved them, he cared for them, but he he left them with to deal with what was in front of them. He walked to the rich young ruler and said, you know, that he was like, hey, I've got to, yeah, you know, I've kept all your commands, is what he said to Jesus. And he goes, All right. Well, now give up your riches and follow me. And the guy, it says that he went away and it was very sad because he was very wealthy. And that's the last we hear of him. Jesus went on. Jesus walked up to people and shared the gospel, loved them, spoke of their life, healed them, all those things, and then it was up to them. And so I just, I just think it's very interesting how this philosophy has, has come in, into the church that we have to cater to sin, And it's like, it's, we don't have to do it with disrespect. I mean, how, how does, do we run our houses that way with our kids? I mean, and I know this is a bad example, but I mean, I just, I think the general thing that, that, that's on my heart is we emphasize a man-centered religion where God and the Bible is about making your life better it's, about, it's all about how to, how to make your family, your marriage, your kids, all these things better. And that's the, the chief end of going to church. That's the chief end of religion is it's you. It's your kingdom. It's me. It's my kingdom. Anybody else? And I want to hear that. And people know it and they want to teach you it so you'll come and listen to it. And God's, Jesus walks up to people and says, repent, turn, give up everything, follow me, and you'll have life. No, make my life awesome now. Right? You know, and we just, I know I'm kind of going off freestyle, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's the same kind of philosophy that's kind of popped up. It's a man centered rather than God centered uh, message. And the result of that self centered false religion is that they despise authority. Do you see how those connect? When your kingdom and your message is about you and your life, you're never going to be told no or repent or don't. And if you don't, then it's unloving and unkind because I am me and I'm my own God and you exist to, to to make my life the best it can be. That despising authority is it's rooted within us. It's an Adam thing and an Eve thing, but ultimately we despise the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that is the ultimate issue of despising any authority, is, is his lordship. See, we don't just receive the gospel to say, Jesus saved me from my sins, but he becomes Lord and Savior. You surrender everything, and now he is your loving, kind leader, but make no mistake, he is Lord. And when he speaks to his church, his loving kids, who he redeemed with his blood, is it? A, yes, there are conversations, but he says, these are my commands. Like loving one another, it's not optional. It's, you guys, it's like we're going, okay, well, they don't, well, I don't like the way they talk to me. Well, love them. Yeah, but they've got to, you know, no, love. Like God loved you, you didn't like the way you talked to him, and, and he went and came and got you, right? And that's what now Christians do. We mimic Christ and all these relationships with one another. And so as people learn to follow Jesus, we, we learn that he's Lord. We, we surrender our life. And if, if I just preach a gospel that says it's just about you're forgiven, and now it's all about your life, that's just the opposite of what Jesus came to, to say. He says, oh, you lost your life. Your life's in me now. You come to me and you ask me for everything. Where do we go? What do we do? What does my life look like? Where do I work? All that kind of stuff. You just lay it out before. I am yours. I'm your servant. And he says, pick up and go to Walla Walla. But I like tacos, Lord. <laughs> I'll provide tacos. There's a place I've prepared for you in my sovereign hand <laughs> called Yungapeti. And anyways, I could just saying. <laughs> unless you lose your life, you're not going to have it. And so there's a crossless gospel. We've got to be careful of that. People learn to follow themselves instead of the Lord. And so ultimately, any teacher and people that follow that kind of message, instead of one that leads the sheep to understand and to follow the voice and the commands of Jesus, to hear him, he is our pastor, church. Amen? He is our shepherd of our souls. And simply, our job as elders is to point you to him. And just to encourage you in him and to help you see what God just taught us, you know? And it's not like we've got all the answers, by the way. As, if you've been around here any length of time, you, you know that we are learning as well. But it's about him and, and his kingdom. That's why we don't enjoy doing some of the things we do, like church discipline, which we'll talk about a little later. You know, it's like, why, why would you do that? Because Jesus said, and that's it. It's his church. It's not mine. And if I don't, well, who am I in trouble with? You guys? I would rather be in trouble with you guys than in trouble with him on that day. And so those people that, that follow the corrupt desires of the flesh, they end up despising authority and and. Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, Paul's about to die, and he says to Timothy, and this is very important, he says, a little pa- Pastor Timothy in Ephesus there, young guy, he says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and judge the dead, and in view of his appearing and in his kingdom, boy, I want to know what's coming next, I give you, what? This charge. Make sure people like you. Make sure the church grows. Make sure there's things for kids. Make sure everybody's taken care of and happy at all times. That's what I want you to do. I want you to have the American church. I charge you, preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, exhort with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come. When people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, their itching ears, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, the entertainment, the excitement of it all. But you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. It's not easy. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is, what Paul, this is Paul's lecture to a pastor. And you see, the people follow the flesh, and so they despise the authority of the word of God. Ultimately, it's not about a pastor. It's about what God says. Right? But they despise his authority. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear someone who tells me the way I want to hear it so I can feel good about myself because it convicts. And that conviction leads to repentance and that repentance leads to life as we walk the narrow path with the Lord. And so the ultimate authority of Jesus as Lord in their lives is rejected. You see how that works together? I mean, Peter, so as Peter describes these teachers at the middle of verse 10, we will get further Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. I don't know what was going on there. I don't know exactly what this means. I'm going to give you my best shot. But I want you to go study it for yourself. But it's clear that these teachers were bold and arrogant. That means presumptuous and self-willed in the original language. That they, that they didn't tremble. I love how that translation says. That they didn't tremble when they blasphemed. And that's what heap abuse means. It's blasphemed. When they blaspheme celestial beings or the majestic ones. So there's these teachers that are so bold and arrogant, they're calling out to some kind of angelic being and they're heaping abuses upon them. They're, they're blaspheming them. And this means that they were speaking to angelic beings, either fallen or otherwise. I believe it's fallen. And they were heaping abuses or they were blaspheming as that word and they were trash-talking some form of angel. That's how bold and arrogant and authoritarian they were. They they were fooled. And this really struck me because coming from a more charismatic background, you know, I've I've told Satan what for a few times. Anyone else? I was ignorant. I have been. And I, I don't know about you, but as we have gone through the scriptures, I haven't seen the verses where we are taught to be arrogant towards any authority. Whether worldly, angelic, or demonic, godly, I think we just read where we are to submit to worldly authorities. It's not about whether they're just or unjust. It's that we entrust ourselves to the highest authority in the midst of their tyrannical situation or good or bad, right? So we don't trash talk Satan or his demons or tell him what for. I just don't see it in Scripture. We go to our Father in prayer, who has all authority and all power, we stand upon His word. But apparently these teachers were flippant, and they and they showed antipathy towards angelic authority, whether good or fallen, this false teacher's blaspheming them, and that really shows their heart of where they are. Boy, we can see this on TBN a little bit, can't we? Talking and all this type of stuff, but Yet even angels, verse 11, although they are stronger and more powerful, they don't heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. And so Peter says, listen, the angels, and they would be the good ones, the good angels, the godly angels, not demons. Although they are stronger and more powerful, two words to describe angels, stronger and more powerful than any of us in this room. And probably, and my guess is he's speaking about over these demonic beings they didn't blaspheme them when bringing judgment upon them from the Lord. Listen, they were, they were authorized to bring judgment on these other beings. And I know I'm going to kind of clear this out. But when they did that, they didn't even trash talk them while they were doing it. Isn't that weird? We know that Peter is talking about godly angels who are strong and more powerful, but who, who are they not blaspheming? Who... who who are the beings in verse 11 that the angels are bringing judgment upon? Either they're the false apostles or the angels, and godly people see it both ways. But my best understanding is Peter's saying, hey, it's, it's godly angels executing judgment on demons or fallen angels. And the reason why I would get this is from the book of Jude. And if you, if you, um, if you flip over to Jude real quick, that's like four books to the right. Right past First John before Revelation, it's only one chapter, verses eight through ten. It's interesting; they're exactly the same almost all the way through. Jude and Second Peter, especially chapter two. So you use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Okay, if you're interp- if you if you're a Bible student, you want to make sure that you're you're going to the Bible to figure out what the Bible says, not other things. And so you go to the passages that are similar and saying the same thing, and you match them up against one another. If when you don't know what something says. And the thing is, you know, you're like, well, where are those passages? One, Google. Number two, uh, experience and time, in the Word. You begin to remember where things are. Um, it says in verses 8 through 10, this is Jude speaking, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, this is these false teachers, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they heap abuses on celestial beings. Same thing right? Which are demons. How do we know that? Verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, that's news to me, but that was happening, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So the angel, Michael, archangel, super angel, is... Going ahead and wrestling with Moses, arguing, disputing with Moses about the body of, uh, disputing with Satan about the body of Moses. Satan's a very powerful, angelic being fallen. When he was executing judgment against him, he didn't blaspheme him and do it, but he rather said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord take care of you and your wickedness. And verse 10 of Jude says, Yet these people, they slander whatever they do not understand, and these very things they do not understand they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do, they will, dis- will destroy them. And so he goes back and links it to being irrational animals. And so Jude just says, listen, Michael, the Archangels." he's super, he didn't, he didn't trash talk. And so the beings that Peter is speaking about in verse 11 are, I believe, are demons, where he says, yet even the angels, even though they are stronger, more powerful, do not do that. So I think that's, that's pretty important because that gives us insight on these guys. They're, they're so arrogant that they don't understand that these super powerful beings that have, even though they're fallen, they have authority, they don't even, they, they go ahead and they're, they're arrogant towards them. But th- doesn't, that, doesn't that describe our generation today? Doesn't it describe the spirit that is going on in the world today? It's demonic. It's weird. Where we despise authority for some reason. We think that's okay. That's not what the gospel teaches us. It teaches us to be humble, to submit ourselves, to entrust ourselves to the Lord. But these people, that is false teachers, verse 12, blaspheme in manners they don't understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done, and so Peter likens these false teachers to animals. Animals are creatures of instinct. Now, I know all of you love your pets, but you need to know that your pets are driven by your instinct. Their instincts. They give you those puppy eyes and sweet purrs because they know that you give them treats and they, you will scratch their itch and all those things. Stop doing those things and let's see how loving and kind and affectionate they are after a while. <laughs> you meet their desires. But I, I like them. And I know some of you are going, oh, what about the ape that you know, knows calculus or whatever? Just... Peter's not thinking about the ape that knows calculus. He's thinking about animals. He's not giving a deep teaching on pets. He's saying that false teachers are like animals. Animals are creatures of instinct. You know it, right? How do you get your animal to come to you? How do you train them to come to you? With what? With treats. Why? Because they like treats. You're like, oh, you love me. I you they're all ha ha. I love treats and I like that you give me treats, and so you're kind of in my ballpark. That's what's going on. I know, burst your bubble. Obviously, there's more there, but... If you're, in, in the idea, he's saying that false teachers are like animals. They follow their desires straight into a snare. The snare is judgment, and they're leading people in those same ways. They're leading them to follow their desires, which is ultimately leading to the day of judgment that's the snare. And that's how hunters hunt with snares and traps. You put the animal what it wants in the trap next to the snare and because they're unreasoning, they don't reason, they go after it and they die. And Peter's saying that's what's going on there. Paul in Romans 8 speaks of the person who is saved versus the person who is not. The person who is led by the flesh, the corrupt desires, or the person who is led by the Spirit. There's two different people. One who's saved, one is not. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. Keep reading verse 4. Paul explains who the saved are, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Qualifier. Keep reading, verse 5-6, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is what? Death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And so either you are born again, following the Spirit of God in your life, or you are unregenerated led and directed by your desires and your flesh. One of, two, one of two roads. Jesus said you must be born again. So are you an animal or are you a son or a daughter? Amen? These false teachers were leading people into the snare. Their idea of pleasure is to crowds in broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. And so normally evil is in the dark, but these guys are so brazen they just do it in public. With eyes full of adultery, they never stopped sinning. Every single woman they looked at was a, was a sexual exploit in their mind. That's what was going on. They're just so gone, and they're all covered in the religiosity. They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. Peter says they seduce the unstable, and that word seduce means they catch with bait. These false teachers, they are fishers of men and women too. But instead of appealing to the spirit, they appeal to the flesh. And we see this time and time again with people who are hurting and broken. They play upon their weakness to get something out of them. People watch... These programs, or whatever it might be, and they go to these places thinking they're going to get healing, and they promise all these things to them some kind of miraculous experience, and they get them all worked up, and at the end of it, they are departed from their funds, or something is taken from them, and they're no better for it. They prey upon the unstable. They're fishing for the weak, the immature, the person who has not been trained in righteousness, which we've all been at one time. I remember when I was first leading worship at Calvary in 1997, um, God was doing massive work there. It was really cool. The church was like, you know, 200 people, and then over a period of like five years, it was like the 700 and something. It was like some, like what happened with Life Church here. Just amazing stuff that the Lord was doing. And you know, I, I remember I was leading worship and it was just sweet. I mean, Christine was there. I mean, people were just it, was just, it was just sweet. Just hands raised, not hyper-emotionalism, but there was just, there was love. God was doing things. His word was taught. People were getting saved. There was missions work going on. There was just, it was just a sweetness about everything. And I remember getting, a, getting a, a call from some guy. You know, here I am, out of the world, in the church in a position of authority all of a sudden after a little short time I was not that mature and um, and he he said you know what? he said I'm, I'm starting a ch- I'm starting a church and you know man I want I want you to I want you to lead worship for me he said whatever they're paying you I'll pay you double and when and when you're getting paid nothing you like nothing times 2 is awesome <laughs> <laughs> right But they, it totally was, and now as I look back, they're going, I want what's going on there. And you're part of, if I just do that, then this is going to happen here. And I grab you, and, and that's, just, that's just wrong. Very tempting. Very tempting. I, I was unstable, young, undiscerning, but I knew enough to know this isn't right. Passed on it but how quickly and how easily your life can just go in a direction. You know, the Lord ended up up meeting my wife and uh, becoming a pastor and all those other things. God just really blessed through that situation, but they're experts in greed is what it says. And I don't know about this guy's perfect motivation, but I know that he was appealing to something within me, right? A need, a desire. He's young, he doesn't have anything. I'm gonna give him what he doesn't have so he'll come do what I want. Not to say you shouldn't pay people, but in the church, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to grab onto people that way. And these guys are experts in greed, they said. They, he says they're false teachers. They're masterminds. They, they're experts. They've trained themselves like an athlete strives. They've trained themselves in greed. They are an accursed brood. In other words, Peter says they are cursed children of Satan is the implication. So another wonderful thing that Peter's saying about these Guys, he has no love for them whatsoever in what they're doing. Verse 15, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Bezar, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a wild animal without speech, who spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And Peter draws their attention to Numbers 22, the story of Balaam. He was a prophet for hire. The Moabites who were next to the Israelites, they didn't like the Israelites hanging on in, in Ammon and all that type of stuff. And so they hired this guy to come curse the children of Israel. He wouldn't do it. But he definitely liked the money situation. We know that from other things. Um, and like in, Jesus says in Revelation 2.14, speaking to the church of Pergamum about Balaam, he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, speaking to the church. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who taught Balak, that's that foreign king, to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual morality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise it will soon come to you, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you got people who are following that, that, that vein of teaching. The sin of Balaam wasn't simply motivated by greed and money. There was a perversion there. He enticed, he, he, he undermined the people of God by getting them to intermarry with people who did not love God and share his values. And therefore, when they came together and they were unified in marriage, the gods of Israel meshed with the gods of, or the God of Israel meshed with the God of the God you know, Baal and all this child worship and all this type of stuff, and it, oh, child sacrifices, excuse me, and They got all meshed together, so the Israelites were totally compromised until they had to come and they had to kill all those people and reset the table. It was horrible. And so the enemy does the same thing. He teaches you to marry yourself with the world. It's okay. And we become desensitized to the things of the Spirit as we engage in media and all this type of stuff that is offensive to God, convicting for all of us. Amen. And to the place where we're now no longer holy and set apart, but we're in the enemy's camp, engaging in the things, and we can't separate ourselves from it. Jesus says, repent. In the way of Balaam. Peter says these false teachers have left the straight path. They're following the footsteps of Balaam. These people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Springs are supposed to have water, storms are supposed to have rain. Prophets and teachers are supposed to be filled with the spirit of the water and give people the water of the word, right? But they don't. And what does he say? Peter says the blackest darkness is reserved for them. This is heavy stuff. They are reserve, they have reservations for eternity in hell. That's what Peter says, the apostle. Verse 18, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And this would be some sort of moral appeal. I love what my, my Bible study notes say on that, my my notes in my Bible. It says. This is a description not of saved people, but of those who are vulnerable because they have high levels of guilt and anxiety, people with broken marriages, people who are lonely and tired of consequences of sin, and they're looking for a new start. These false teachers exploit these kinds of people. They get out of them instead of give them Christ, right? Lead them to Christ. In verse 19, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves of whatever the masters then The false teachers can't offer freedom. They don't know it. They don't have it. They're slaves themselves. Verse 20, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are, given, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off in the end than they are in the beginning. Now, some say that this verse describes people who were saved and then left and lost their salvation. And, Uh, You know, I guess you could kind of, you could build a case for that. There's godly people who see it that way, but I don't see that these people were ever saved. I think they were superficial all the way along. They were in the church. They knew all the doctrines of the church, but Jesus never was Lord of their life. They sought to escape the corruption of the world. They knew that the change needed to happen. They heard the gospel. They professed all the right things, but they were overcome. By that very corruption, they sought to escape. They were worse off than when they, when they started. And Jesus speaks about the parable of the soil. The seed was cast on all types of soil. We're almost at the end. One of four stuck. One of four produced fruit. Remember that? They did not overcome. They were overcome. I think as Peter said, they were overcome by sin. They rejected the command. Peter says, they disobeyed the Lord Jesus. They rejected the Lord Jesus and his lordship. And 1 John 5, 3 through 5 speaks of the one who has overcome. And this is the opposite way. These people were overcome by corruption, by sin. But Jesus, uh, But John says something different about those who are overcomers. Who are the overcomers? Do you want to be overcome or do you want to overcome? Two different words in Greek, but... He says in 1 John 3-5, he says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone bored of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And he reverse-engineers it, believing, faith, obedience. If you believe the Lord Jesus, your faith is going to be demonstrated in obedience. That's what he's saying. Those are the overcomers. See, our faith is proven and that we obey. His people did not. In verse 21, Peter says, It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred commandments that was passed to them. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will receive will be judged more strictly. And these teachers knew the gospel, they understood Christianity, they rejected it with their lives, and they dragged everyone around them with it into that. And this makes Peter think of a proverb. "Oh, that reminds me of something. Of them, the proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So I don't know about you, but like, there's just not very many happy-go-lucky verses here. Anybody else? But that's what happens when you read the Bible. You, you actually hear what God says and what He thinks about something. You just read it, and I'm not cherry-picking verses. You read through it, and it sh- you're like going, ah, oh, that's uncomfortable. I wouldn't, you know. It's, there's just no love for false teachers the Lord has there. I mean, that Peter has there, right? Where did he get that from? Just take a guess. More specific. Jesus. Absolutely. Matthew twenty three fifteen. Here's what Jesus says. He thinks. Jesus says of those who are leading Israel at that time, leading them astray, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over the land and see to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus' words. That is your Jesus. These are your apostles. And that is what the Lord thinks of this church. He's very serious. And Paul exhorted Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, watch yourself and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This isn't just for pastors. This is for moms. This is for dads. This is for grandparents. This is for aunts and uncles with lost brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews. This is for teachers. This is for you at work. Anyone who has influence on another person, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Perhaps they will hear. They will see your life and see that it matches up with the truth. And they might come to Christ through you. It's a package deal. Now more than ever, church, draw near to Jesus. Let His word guide your lives. If it's weird, if you're getting a check in your spirit, be sensitive to that. Go to the Word. See what He says about stuff. Be careful. You know, when we were, when we were younger, when we were younger, <laughs> there wasn't the interweb. And we, <laughs> you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't have everything at our fingertips, right? You had to go places and talk to people's stuff. But now it's just, we can get whatever information we want. And I've, it's interesting because counseling has gone, and all that type of stuff has gone way down because people just go and they get the answers online, and it's disconnected from relationship. And we can also do that with teaching and all that stuff. And there's lots of great information. and I love I don't know I recommend tons of people to you and all that great stuff, but conversely, there's a lot of wolves out there. Be careful. If they're appealing to your flesh, be careful. If they're calling you to draw near to Christ, to repent and believe and to grow in faith and love and all these types of things, and not seed faith where you give money and then God answers, that's not faith. So watch those things out. Go to your elders and ask them, hey, is, is this right on? Or, I'm listening to this person or I'm watching this show. I'm really influenced by it. Um, talk to another brother or sister in the church who's mature. Ask them about those things. You know what I'm saying? Don't be a lone ranger on this stuff because it's very important. I've shared it before, and I'll close with this. My dad was in Vietnam, and he was a Huey pilot, and he, there was a, a bullet that went up through the cockpit, hit the thing, and shrapnel came down. And he was telling me when I was younger, he says, Matt, you're almost not here, and the difference between you being here and you're not being here was like this on the ground. It was barely anything. If he had sneezed or breathed in or whatever it was, just that little bit here made it way off there. And that's all the enemy wants to do. He just wants to get a foot in the door and get you off a little bit so that it's not the gospel. I want to encourage the church this year in knowing what we believe. It's been on my heart. If I were to ask you, what is the gospel? Are you able to articulate it? Are you able to defend it? Are you able to know where that is? what that is about. Do you know your Jesus? Do you know your Bible? Do you know who it is? And it's not like a bad thing. It's like, I get challenged too. I want you to know the word of God, not for that sake, but so that you know the God of the word. Amen? Jesus says, they test the, the words, the prophets, everything, they testify of me. Amen? Lord God, protect us from... This, um, this heresy, God. And, and I ask that you'd watch over my heart and my life and my doctrine as well, God, that I would walk pure before this church and my family, Lord. And So just keep us in your, in your tender arms, Lord. Shepherd our, our church and our soul. Strike the wolves with your staff, Lord, and um, use your crook, Lord, to drag us in and away from awkward paths or paths or thoughts that go down a certain road, that we would stay pure, that we wouldn't be um, devoured by the enemy, by this subtle attack. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We submit to you and we ask for you to be Lord today. We simply want to read your word, hear your voice, and follow after you. Teach us, Lord. Give us grace this week. Empower us to walk that we may love you in word and in deed. In the name of Jesus, amen.